In the beginning, there was nothing. And the Lord said, let there be games. And somewhere in that miasma of darkness and ooze, somewhere in that ocean of really lame hobbies and bad model kits, crawled the first games that we played. Now, since that time, since that time, evolution has occurred. And the simple animals that crawled out of the ocean, those simple game systems, they were held together with chewing gum and bad acrylic paint, or not acrylic paints, enamel paints. All of those game systems and all of those bad D20, D10, D million, D6 game systems have evolved. And slowly, very slowly over the years, things have matured. And in that process, a game company came along, several in fact, but a couple that revolutionized the gaming industry and changed the way business was done, changed the way we looked and played and bought games. And those companies made some pretty big mistakes. And people started looking at other games. And people left to join other gaming companies and start other gaming companies. And somewhere in that mess, we ended up today. Where we live in a world with more good games than we can possibly play at any time. There's just not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough life to play all of these fantastic games. And that is what this podcast is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice. My name is Brad, otherwise known as Old Man Morin, and I've been playing games for a very long time. But I am not alone tonight. Uh, this podcast is like a podcast that I have been on recently, the LRDG2. This is a... A podcast that is a rotating panel, uh, of which I am the host, and I invite friends and contemporaries on to talk gaming. Rather than any one particular game, it is the focus of Cast Dice, in so far anyway, to explore the gaming industry as it exists now, and to look at some of the great games that currently exist out there, and, you know, talk about our, the good time that we've had playing them. But before we go any further, I should probably invite the guys who have been sitting patiently in the background while we've spent the last half an hour recording the intro to this show. Uh, let me start with a man who has never been on a podcast before, which astounds me given his pedigree as a war gamer. He's been around forever, as far as I know. Um, he's definitely been a, a feature of the scene since I moved to Melbourne God, 13 years ago. And he's was playing well before that. A man who's been playing war games longer than me. Monty! Uncle Skilto. How hey, you Brad. doing? <laughs> Welcome. Hey, Brad. Thanks. First time talker, long time listener. Oh, God, I love it when people say that. It takes me back to my days in radio. <sighs> but before we get too far in, we definitely need to uh, get the third talking head going. Now, I did mention that this podcast um, has evolved from uh, past podcasts, some of which are still running, some of which have ended. Uh, but 
this is a man who I every single time I've started a podcast, and there's been a few, uh, this man has been on the first episode, if not an integral part. I have to say that if you don't know him by now, you probably will never know him. Dave of War, welcome to Cast Dice. Hi, Brad. Good to be here. So, Dave, in all the mistries that we started with this, you, uh, you've called this podcast a few things. Um, what do you think? Do you think you can come up with a better name than Cast Dice? Because um, you've had a few whoppers so far. Brutalicious Brad's Party of Dice Explosion. <laughs> They're getting worse, Dave. <laughs> anyway. That's my pitch. That's the one for you now. All right. Well, as we're actually recording now, then uh, I guess that's the one that's going out for posterity. So, God, man, uh, so much to talk about in the world of gaming. Uh, it's been a little while since the last episode of the LRDG2, and we have seen tons in the wargaming world. Um, and a few things that are definitely worth talking about. Um, really quick, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I think it is worth talking about... Gentlemen, completely off the cuff, with no warning whatsoever, what do you think about FFG's next offering, or at least the big one that everyone seems to be talking about, Star Wars Legion. Now, for those of you who don't know what this is, it's either a 28mm or 32mm Star Wars miniature battle game. Now, it's, it's a tabletop game. Uh, there's been conflicting reports on how big the board is, but it is going to be pretty fantastic i think um mark have you had any input on this one i must admit i haven't actually seen a lot about it but i'm interested to see what comes out you know that the, there's a rich background to it so there's a lot of stuff to to pull from definitely have you played any of the ffg games at all are you an ffg guy uh not so much no i'll, I'll stick to about four or five systems but um uh no, I couldn't say I've, I've really delved into the games that much. That's all right. Well, if if you have, then you would know how many, how much they love little tiny pieces of circular cardboard and uh, little tiny pieces that you can put next to your models. Um, Dave, you and I have played a fair bit of X-Wing, not in a competitive form whatsoever, more of a beer and pretzels and fly our ships into asteroids kind of way. Um, what do you think about this? Are you excited about this as an FFG game, or are you going to kind of give it a miss? The models look really sexy. I'd be keen to see how it turns out. I've played a few of their, their Star Wars offerings in Imperial Assault and their role-playing games. I forgot I you had. it's going to yeah. have fairly similar dynamics. Mm. So I'm not sure how well it's going to translate into a war game, but I'm keen to see what they do. I mean, Fantasy Flight usually do a pretty good job. I'm just not sure that they have quite the chops to make like a, a less than casual war game, like something that's not X-Wing and actually involves real-time commitment to paint stuff up and build army. Yeah, I was really interested. I, um, I played a game that I hadn't realized... Well, I, I'd seen it around, um, but I'd never actually played it. Mansions of Madness? Um, I was astonished at how good that game was. Um, I played it on Saturday night with a couple friends and my wife, and it was it was remarkable. Um, so it's a board game that you set out, and apparently it's the second edition, and the first edition was rather clunky, but they fixed it by getting rid of... It's almost like a role-playing game where you're moving miniatures around a tabletop and exploring, and it's 
um, Call of Cthulhu based. So you're you're you know you're trying not to summon the old ones, and you're trying you know you're fighting off insanity, and you know it, it's circa 1920s, 30s, and somewhere in there um, they decided so we're going to get rid of the game master and we're going to make it an app, and so you download it. And you put in the characters that you've picked, and you put in, you know, which scenario you're playing, and it tells you how to set up the board, and then as you move around and interact with things on the board, you hit it on the app, and it reads to you. Meanwhile, it's playing spooky music, um, and it gives you the options that you can do for everything. It was incredibly well done. Um, I it, it was next-level gaming, as far as I'm concerned. I was blown away at the the the, the just the, the the production quality of it especially since i was playing on a friend's board and he'd painted all of the miniatures beautifully as well and mounted them all on clear bases so the boards are beautiful all the props are beautiful the miniatures are beautiful it was just sensational now if ffg can take the clean nature of the x-wing rules now people might not agree with me that x-wing is a quote-unquote clean and easy game to pick up but it is i mean without adding a bunch of extra rules um to play competitively i mean if you buy certain ships a lot of extra rules get written it is a fairly simple and clean game by itself um it's relatively easy to pick up not to fly well but if they can do that with a tabletop war game, well, that would be interesting. Um, Rune Wars has come out, and some of the reviews for that have been excellent. And that's their fantasy rank and flank game. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm excited about it. I think I think it's going to be cool. But if it is FFG and it is amazing, and they're the way they package things, I do expect that we're going to be. You'd have to mortgage a small house to get to buy into an army, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Have either of you messed around with um, Rune Wars at all? Dave, have you? No, nah, the rule system looked interesting, but the models don't do anything for me at all. They're kind of garbage, so I haven't, haven't jumped in. It takes a lot for me to want to jump into an actual war game where you have to have more than, like, 15 models. Yeah. Mark, uh, I assume, as you were saying, you're not an FFG guy, Fantasy Flight guy, that you also haven't seen much with this? Uh, yeah, no, I haven't haven't really delved into Rune Wars, but I, I do do have one one concern that maybe they're overloading with too many games at once. Do you, yeah. do you think that maybe they'll get fatigued? It is interesting that they're diversifying to the degree that they are. I mean, Rune Wars was a big release, and if they're going to support it with product code for a while, on top of X Wing, which people complain about, you know, the availability of models on top of Armada. On top of uh, what are the other games you were mentioning? Imperial Assault, um, the the role playing games. On top of on top of on top of. I mean, I know they source outsource their production, but I mean, they. I don't know. Dave, did you? I, have I think it's a different thing, though, right? Because the X Wing and Armada, the the production delays, from my understanding, are a lot to do with the fact that they're painted. Yeah, that's actually that's a very good point. Yeah. That's true. Whereas this, this other stuff isn't, so it shouldn't. I don't think it should be that hard for them to supply it if they put the effort in. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm just think, think, thinking about the recent demise of Spartan games, and just wondering whether 
you know, they may be spreading themselves a bit too thin on some cases. True, but Spartan, I mean, to be fair, Spartan never had the success that, for example, X-Wing has. I mean, X-Wing has been one of the top-selling, if not the top-selling, tabletop war game for a couple of years now. I mean, it, it outsold 40K. Maybe not up until 8th edition. Um, it will be interesting to see what 8th Ed did to GW's overall sale numbers. But for the last couple of years, they've just been printing their own money, just about, when they've been selling these things. So they've got the money, they've got the support, and they do a really nice tournament pack. So they do like to do regular updates for tournament players, and they like to run games that, you know, I guess they just interact with the community in a good way. Um, I mean, I know that there's yep. been criticisms about the way they interact and, you know, the hyper-competitiveness of some of their games, but look, it could be really good. Um, I did have a friend um, who was mentioning on Facebook that he was going to, as much as he loves Star Wars and as much as he loves the models, he's probably going to give this a pass because his local game store is approaching it like old-school 40K and people are talking about how to cheese up their armies as much as possible. Now, I'm not sure how that would work, um, given this game system, but I guess it does suppose, I mean, it does suppose the community that you want to play with. So I think we might need to see what evolves. Um, I don't know. Uh, as Dave was getting to earlier, and I think what we should probably get into now, is maybe the, the, the crux of this particular episode, which is, um, a game that isn't a tabletop war game that inquire, you know, requires 100 models or even 50 models is more a game that does take a couple of hours to play. So it does have that, that depth to it. But you're only playing with, what, 6 to 12 models? Um, and that game is Malifaux. Now, Malifaux differs from some of the other tabletop skirmish games out there that involve the same number of models because often those games sort of run maybe an hour long um dave and i played quite a bit of shadow war armageddon for a little while and dave yeah. how uh, those games pretty much went for like 45 minutes to an hour yeah 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 i would say so were you happy with the depth and complex complexity of that game yeah for what it was it's, it wasn't designed to be a main game so i think it was perfectly you know, deep and complex for a sort of casual game that you'll play 10, 12 times and then call it a day. Yeah, I'd agree. Mark, did you mess around with that? I mean, it is very much old Necromunda and uh, and I'm very similar, I guess, to a degree to Mordheim. Um, did you, yep. you, I know you played Mordheim. Did you play around with the other versions of that? I did, I did. I mean, they were fun. They're good beer and pretzels. I mean, you, you no one really cares what the end result is. You just have fun playing them. Exactly. But they don't. They don't. They don't engage you long term. They're just the kind of things that go through phases and go out again. Yeah, I am very interested. Games Workshop's re-releasing Necromunda officially with plastic, new plastic models that are in new scale, so you have to buy new ones. Um, and I believe it comes out next month. Um, now, as someone who loved first edition Necromunda uh, and played the hell out of it um, off and on for quite a while. I am very interested to see how this works because Necromunda, of course, has always been based on second edition 40K. And recently, going back to it, um, when they released Shadow War Armageddon, which was basically a cleaned up Necromunda, um, 
The rules definitely took me back to a time and a place a long time ago. Um, now, what's interesting about the new Necromunda, besides the new models, is that it's apparently a new game system based on 8th edition. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I've kind of intentionally been avoiding rumors about it. Um, but I do know that the Goliaths and the Escher are in the core game and they're plastic. Uh, I think, again, I think this will just be a huge hit. I think it will sell out. But whether people play it any length of time, um, I, think it's, I think it's another fun side game. I think Shadow Wars released brilliantly right before 8th to get people playing the game again. Um, a lot of people who had left it behind. Um, and it gave eighth, uh, you know, gave 40k players something to play right before the edition dropped, so they didn't suffer from the biz, you know, the loss of business. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. But the game we're talking about now is not those games. It's a game that goes for a lot longer. Um, it's got a lot more depth to it, even with the number of models it has, and that's Malifaux. Now, Mark, you've been playing Malifaux for quite a while. Is that correct? It is, it is. Uh, two to three years, I reckon. Nice. And so did you yeah. pick it up um, in 1.5? Edition 1.5? Uh, yeah, just near the end. I was um, decided to uh, go and do a convention overseas, so I chose to go to Adepticon a few years ago. Jealous. Um, mainly mainly to play um, Warhammer. It was the last eighth Warhammer, I think. Mm-hmm. No. Close last to seventh it. Or something. Around that time. But of course, I had uh, a bit of time left, so I um, I bought a a bunch of models from Malifaux, got um someone to paint them up for me, um, who did a much better job, and uh, yeah, had had two practice games before I hopped on the plane and then went over to play in um, <laughs> tournaments the size of a Depticon. Yeah, man, those are the <laughs> those are the big shows. So when you walked in, I mean, Malifaux has a reputation for having a really cool scene, like really people really friendly, um just welcoming did you find that when you went to like one of those big events in the u.s where you know people are quote-unquote very competitive um did you find that it was a welcoming friendly environment i mean clearly you're still playing the game oh they, they were really welcoming really friendly i mean that the way the tournament was set up it was designed to encourage um a mixture of competitive play but also um uh challenging and inclusive play so you had things like, um, as well as the normal competitions, they also had a, a playbook where you'd earn points for doing, um, uh, if you played against uh, someone who, from each faction, you earned a point. If you played a game starting at three in the morning, you earned a point. If you finished a game after midnight, you earned a point. If you played a number of demonstration games against people who had only just started playing, then you, you also earned points. So they had a competition specially for developing the game and the uh around Adepticon and the people attending. Oh, that's fantastic. And, I mean, that sounds like a, just a really... So how many games did you get in, I guess, is my question. Uh, let's see. I played um, a two-day event and got in six games on that. Mm -hmm. I played about a half a dozen other catch-up games. I played in something they called the cake match, where everyone brought along cakes. Um, and that was another four or so games. And at the end of the um, the two game tournament, everyone won a prize. Um, there was so much um, uh, donated in terms of prize support, and uh, no one went away empty handed or or feeling like they'd they'd missed out. 
and everyone was um yeah everyone was really friendly especially when they they found out it come all the way from australia to play that's awesome man i got oh so good um I recently went up to Sydney to play, and those guys made me feel incredibly welcome. But, I mean, that's nothing compared to going to Adepticon. So, uh, all right, let's, let's talk about what Malifaux is. Uh, now, m- every game I've ever played has involved dice. I have a dice drawer that is packed with dice. I've actually made an army um, where I stacked dice to create armatures of over 100 models. And I still have a drawer full of dice. Malifaux's different in that it doesn't use dice at all. Uh, Dave, what does Malifaux do and how is it different? Malifaux has a card mechanic where instead of using dice as your random generator, both players have their own decks of cards that they then flip and compare the results of the cards that they flip to see who wins any opposed duel or anything they need to compete against. So when you say a deck of cards... Um, I mean, I know people often know cards from games like Ma- Magic the Gathering or Star Wars, the collectible card game, um, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and all of these games. Is that the kind of cards you're talking about? No, this is not a deck-building game. You're using a deck of playing cards, although with a slightly different set of suits. They are otherwise identical to a normal set of playing cards. But you can just use regular playing cards. Yeah, you can do. You can do. Again, the suits are named different things in Malifaux, but you can easily use regular playing cards instead. So that's really interesting. So, uh, Sorry, go ahead, Mark. You just need to make sure you got the two jokers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, they, basically you have your regular four suits of 13 cards, and then on top of that you have, as Mark just said, two jokers. There's a black joker and a red joker. Um, now, the black joker makes you fail everything that you're trying to do, and the red joker tends to mean that you pass it with flying colors. Um, what I really like about Malifaux is every turn, you shuffle your deck and you start over. Um, and so your luck really does completely reset every turn. Um, and because you're shuffling cards, you can almost see the way that your luck is going in the course of the game. So as you're playing, when you set up for the turn, you put some cards down, uh, you put a deck of cards down, um, you shuffle them, you put them face down. And as events happen, as Dave was getting at a second ago, if you are um, comparing um, cards to see if you're attacking someone or you're trying to get, uh, you know accomplish something in the game... Um, you're comparing what I flip to what you flip, and then each person's miniatures has an, you know, has some sort of bonus or negative that add or subtract from that number. Um, but as you pull cards into your hand, now the cards you have in your hand allow you to cheat. Um, so over the course of the turn, if you don't like what you flip, depending on when it is that you flipped it, you can sometimes slip a card from your hand down. Um, in plain sight, I mean, it's it's called cheating. It's not actually cheating. It's a mechanic in the game. Um, but you put the cards down, and you cheat fate. Now, what's interesting is, as you use the cards from your hand, of course, your luck sort of runs out as far as that goes. But also, if you are flipping really hot, if you're going really well, and you're getting a lot of really high cards, you also know that by the end of that turn, there's a finite number of those cards, and your luck might start to give out. Likewise, if the first half of a turn you flip terrible cards, 
you know that something special is coming at the end. Um, would you agree with that, Mark? I would certainly would agree with that. I'd also say as well as some t- in some occasions it's good to actually have low cards and some it's um, not so good to have low cards. So it, it's all circumstantial as well. It's not always that the king works for you or every time. Yeah, that's very true. I, I was just, yeah, I, was, I guess I was making it a little too general. Um, Dave, anything you want to add uh-huh. to that? No, yeah, just that if you are playing games where your dice where your dice suck and you've horribly offended the dice gods, Malifaux is a game for you because your di- your luck is going to come around at some point in the turn. That's right, and the dice gods can't touch your cards. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So I suppose I I sort of jumped the gun and got right into mechanics, but maybe we should take a step back and look at the game globally. Um, do either one of you fine gentlemen sort of want to describe the world of Malifaux uh, and maybe what, what sort of genre? Because, I mean, we have science fiction, we have fantasy battles. Um, I mean, I've been even looking, as I just said, uh, at Cthulhu-type games, so like mystery, um, pulp, World War II historical, you name it, there's a ton of genres. Now, Malifaux is something special. Uh, Mark, do you want to start us out? Um, they'd kind of describe it as um, alternative world with a portal between our world and this new world. It's set in the um, steampunk slash cowboy slash southern gremlins slash horror slash everything from your nightmare kind of world. Does that well, kind of cover it all? Yeah, I think plus there's some some hashtag Asian influence. So you have, you know, some... Some, some Japanese stuff mixed with Chinese stuff. You also have things like, um, as you said, so the bayou sort of feel, like a New Orleans kind of feel that I just really tapped into right away. Uh, there's just so many different genres that sort of got crammed in there. Um, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, it's just, just a, a hodgepodge of kind of whatever you want. I, I think that it's a super diverse aesthetic all within this sort of slightly upbeat version of it. So kind of whatever vibe you want from that sort of early 20th century thing, you can find something in the world that does it. Yeah, I really like how it's it's got a really... So the way that the fluff in the game's written, it's got it's, it's sort of like a tongue in a cheek. It's got a, like a wink and a little gleam in its eye. Um, and it, it, they really go out of their way to include, to make a lot of pop culture references. Like there's a Kurt Russell character um, that's like Burt Jebsen, who is supposed to be Kurt Russell's character from Big Trouble in Little China, except it's a little gremlin carrying a giant gun. Um, and so, but his rules all match that. And they're, you know, so they clearly like that character in that movie. But there's literally more pop culture references that I could possibly think of if I started, actually, if I wrote it down and was at it for hours. It's just constant throughout the game, and it's just really fun and clever. But that's on one hand, it's like this fun, like, hey, it's it's funny, it's it's clever. And on the other hand, it's incredibly grim, and everything dies. Um, the, the, that, the, the moniker of the game is bad things happen. Um, and, but it sort of does that with like a cute little, Hey, you're going to die. So let's have fun while we're doing it. Um, Mark, what do you think about that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I so love the background to this game and the fact that so much is, is really accessible. Um, all the chronicles that are released, the, the, the one thing that really attracted me to Malifaux is 
when you look at game systems who build their background through large novels you pick up or things like that, mm-hmm. Malifaux and Weird have taken it a different direction where they, they focus on um, releasing lots and lots of vignettes, um, yes. you know, small five to ten page stories that begin and end, usually badly, um, yeah. about anything from all over the world. And sometimes they stretch out into a longer story arc and sometimes mm-hmm. they're just completely independent. But these are things that you can you can read on the train, be done, and you can you can access um, them going back uh, two or three years or even longer, mm-hmm. either downloading them or listening to them on um, on podcasts that have um, that are just repeating the uh, the stories that are laid out in the books that they release. Yeah, yeah. So that's that one's the Breachside Broadcast, which they produce, which is a kind of radio story version of these book stories, and I just hundred percent encourage everyone even if you're not interested in the game to check that out it's a great like great little listen sort of one one hour half an hour stories from the Malifaux universe yeah as someone who used to be they, a radio so as, a, as someone who used to be a radio DJ I think that the breachside broadcast is ingenious because though it technically falls into a um, podcast I guess if you're gonna so download it you'd actually go to the podcast store on iTunes but it is actually like old-timey radio shows um, where it's just characters talking and they have this, maybe some sound effects in the background sometimes. But the production quality is really good and the storytelling is excellent. Some of the stories are a little meh. But, man, I think I know Dave from a podcast. He has been on at one point or another. That every time I listen to that show, I feel like picking up a different part of the game and playing a different master. Um, it's just really fun and inspiring, and it, it just gives you such a neat glimpse into s- so many different aspects of the world. Um, Dave, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's 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 just the best recruiting tool. Have, go have a listen to it. It's, it'll get you excited and make you spend more money than you want to. Yeah, exactly. And it's fun. It's just so much fun. I love it. And it's free. I mean... <sighs> How much fluff do you end up having to pay for for game systems? And this is just, here, download it. It's free. Don't even worry about it. It's just, it's a really neat well, business model. Yeah. And and all of the, the Chronicles, which are their, their magazine that they release, are all free as well. You can go to, what, uh, Drive Through RPG, That's download right. of all those, and I think there's about 35 of them now. Yeah, I need to get back and read that. I was holding off until I finished my master's, but <laughs> guess what I just did. Um, so yeah, there you go. Perfect. Oh, I need to. Yeah, I know what I'm. Christmas. I'm gonna play a lot of games and I'm gonna read a lot of chronicles. But yeah. All right. So we have this world. It's as you say. There's a breach in sort of reality, and people can travel through it to this alternate world. And there's sort of nightmare demony things that live in this world but they sort of hide off in the distance and there's these little native indigenous creatures that are called gremlins that are kind of like goblins um and are just sort of backward and weird um but i suppose everything in the game you could say would be weird but people have come yeah thank you the name of the company is weird um people have come through this breach sort of there's sort of factions political that have sort of sprung up um, amongst the groups of people that live there. So in that, we have 
groups that they then turn into sort of not armies, but I guess factions is literally what we call it um, within the game. And so there are what seven factions? Indeed. Mark, why don't you tell us about that? So you got the seven factions in Malifaux. So you got the Gremlins, who are like the southern swamp people type. You've got uh, the Neverborn, who are the the stuff of nightmares and the the creatures that were in the world before everyone else arrived. You've got the Guild, who are the um, set themselves up as the police force to try and make the most money out of um, Malifaux. Um, you've got the Arcanists, who are the uh, the counter-revolutionaries. They're the the magic users who want all of the the magic stuff from Malifaux much of themselves. You've got the Resurrectionists, who are basically people who have found out there's lots of good books about how to raise dead, um, and they're um, they're doing their best to uh, extend their extend their harems, if you like. If you're talking about Seamus, mm-hmm. um, you've got uh, you've got the Ten Thunders, who is the uh, the Asian influence into the world, and they're they've come into Malifaux to extend their secret societies and their um their underworld connections. Mm-hmm. And you've got the outcasts, who are there to um, they're the mercenaries who are who are happy to fight for anyone as long as the pay's right. Have I um have I remember uh, forgotten any there, Dave? No, I think that's all of it. I really like how in the fluff they have. It, they, they've sort of all made them interrelate. So the guild sort of run the railroad that brings everything trade-wise to and from this alternate world. And there's and people can get these things called soul stones, which sort of make magic happen. Um, and so there's this sort of magical-powered steampunk aesthetic, as we were talking about. But sort of the locomotive sort of ties it ties itself to a lot of this. And so the revolutionaries, the Ar- the arcanists that you were talking about a second ago, Mark, they're the they're the railroad workers. Um and the Ten Thunders, the the quote like the Asian influence, um, are sort of crime families that are starting are starting to work their influence in through people who are working on the railroads, um very much tying to actual you know, historical tropes of who was working on the railroads at the time. Um, and then, of course, as you were talking about, you just add, like, undead and a whole bunch of other interesting stuff, and things just get wacky really fast. Um, Dave, is there what, what is it about the, this world that really calls to you? Because I know that it does actually really call to you. You've really been interested in this. Uh, I like a couple of the aesthetics a hell of a lot. The guild have this um, awesome sort of combination of wild west and spanish inquisition vibe going on so there's a a straight up mix of like the good the bad the ugly tropes and all that spaghetti westernness and then on the other hand you've got almost like almost a 40k inquisition um oppressive state vibe happening which is just super fun and interesting to me the other thing i really like is just how differentiated all of the different factions are from each other so you've, you've got the guild doing that thing then you've got the arcanists who are somewhere in between sort of early 20th century anarchists and contemporary day members of the islamic state terrorist organizations um and they're just like the classic bad guys that everyone loves to hate and just having those clear differentiations between the good guys who want to make malifaux great again and the sort of scumbag trash that want to bring down society is really fun 
Can I just say it's really funny to hear you say that? Because usually there's another guy on the podcast where you would talk about this who's an Arcanist player who's saying that how guilds the awful oppressors and how the Arcanists are, you know, making Malifaux safe for everyone again. Fake news, Brad. Fake news. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, but you, you mix in that whole, like, buy you, you know, like Cajun gator wrestling, you know, feel, and then like literally creatures from nightmares. Um, like a little kid who, one of the masters is a little kid who's sort of uh, made friends with this malevolent being from another plane um, who, you know, they li- manifests as this little kid's play guy. And the little kid's like, oh, yeah, Lord Chompy Bits is going to come get you. And then he comes out and murders everything. And he's like a, you know, 15-foot, 20-foot tall, you know, monster four-armed creature. It's just, it's really interesting. It's, there's just so much to it. Um, I just, I'm just really impressed. So as we were talking about before, there's seven factions, as Mark laid out. And one of the really neat things about organized play with this game is basically the way the game works is you pick a master. Um, So one of the dominant personalities from one of these factions. Now, every one of the factions has a series of special characters that you have to take as your master. Like you, the only way to, to build your list is to use one of these characters. And a lot of the stories that you read or you listen to are about these characters or about people who run into them. Um, and so you get a really good idea of who these people are. And each one, even though if they're within the same faction, have very different ways of playing. Um, and, you pick one of these masters and then there's a pool of models that you can pull from within the faction to create your quote unquote crew. Um, and you have 50 soul stones, which is equivalent to 50 points in another system um, to pull from. And models can be as cheap as two or three um, at the very, very cheap end, or they could be up to like 13 at the other end. Um, so usually you end up, you know, with between what, six and 12 models, depending Um, but what I find really interesting is when you play in an organized event, a lot of what other game systems sort of fall down on in my mind is people go for the net list. What's good. What's great. Let's, let's take this list because it, it's always great and it stomps face. Um, and I'm going to smash my opponent and this is what the winner of this event took. So it must be great. Um, Malifaux is slightly different. In that every time you show up to an event, typically they say, okay, you're, you pick a faction. So you, you say, well, I'm going to play Guild today. I'm going to play the Make, make Malifaux Great Again guys, the Cowboys. And so when you show up at the table, you see what the mission is. And every, every time you play the game, there is a mission that you need to accomplish, a strategy. And then there's little missions that, you, that are secret from your opponent that you need to try and get. And so the big mission's worth four points, and the two little mission are worth three points. So you can score a total of ten points overall. Um, but two of them are secret, and you're trying to figure it out. And, but once you see what the schemes and the strategies are, um, you then pick your crew. 
you 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 don't lit, turn in your list in advance. You basically show up with a pool of models and you pull them out for the game that you're going to play, which just makes for a really uh, it it makes net listing very difficult because you're always a, you know there's a tons of different missions and different combinations of major and minor missions that you need to accomplish. Um, Dave, can you talk to this a little bit and tease it out because and maybe pass it to Mark? What do you guys think about this process? Have I explained it right? Yeah, basically. So you're both um, going for the same main mission, and then each player is going to have an option of five different submissions that they have to choose two of, and they're not necessarily the same. Is that about it, Mark? It is. And I think the key thing is it's not about killing your opponent so much. It's about completing those missions. So you could lose two-thirds your entire force and still win the game. Which I've recently done, which was great. And yeah, I do like that, that you're actually, there's such a focus on playing the mission. And a lot of the things, I mean, we've all played war games, and oftentimes the missions are kill the commander or get in your opponent's deployment zone, or it, it is some variation on killing the most expensive unit or having your most expensive unit survive. What these missions are, some of them are like that, but you also get really interesting missions like, now you need to have people from your crew go to two different parts of the board and they need to you know, interact with it somehow, like leave a little marker or pick something up, or you need to walk up to somebody and basically play tag and tag your it, and then you need to run away so they don't kill you, or something like that. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's neat. It's, it's different. And it means that you're not always trying, like you need to have a mix of models at your disposal um, that, can, that can fly around or can run around or can, you know, leave these, little, leave these little markers or pick things up or drop things off or stab someone else in the back when they're trying to do it or stab them in the face um, and, you know, survive a stand-up brawl in the middle of the board. So there's just, I mean, people joke and say, oh, all you need to play Malifaux is one box. It's true. That's all you need to play. But the more you play, the more you realize, huh, but I could just pick up this one more model. And just adding one model to your model pool makes a huge difference in the way that your crew plays. Uh, Mark, would you agree with what I'm saying? Oh, totally. I mean, I can go out, I can buy, because you can buy them in single boxes or boxes of three normally. I can go out and buy three more models to add to my faction. Out of my 50 points, that could be an extra 21 points that I've got to now choose from. And I can totally do different missions, completely different ways. I can go from a shooty crew to a movement crew to a close combat crew to an avoidance crew. Um, it all depends on what my opponent's bringing and what... Um, what the mission I'm trying to complete is, but it, it's very easy to switch gear. Yeah, definitely. Dave, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, look, I think that's a, definitely the case. One thing in Malifaux is that there are these generalist crews that you can like play with a set number of models, but I've found most people who get into it end up collecting a ton so that they can achieve all these different missions, and because the missions are so differentiated and are not just like kill models, there's just a huge variety of models that are really useful in particular circumstances. 
So you've got a lot of motivation to ending up having quite an addiction to plastic crack and collecting tons of stuff. And they look really good, too. So you're like, oh, I could just, I really like that. Or in my case, like, oh, I love Tanuki. Oh, they're making Tanuki models. I'll go buy some Tanuki. Um, Meanwhile, I don't know if I'm ever going to play with Tanuki. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I I need to pull out a a new master so I can use my Tanuki. Um, and so, but some of the masters are dual faction. Like you can use them for resers or for guild or you know, the resurrectionists or the guild, or you can use them with 10 thunders or, you know, um, the arcanists. And so when you start taking on these new masters that can be used multiple ways and you're like, well, maybe I won't play guild today. I've got this master that also plays resurrectionist. Maybe if I buy one more resurrectionist model, you know, master box. Hey, look, now I can just play Resurrectionist at the next tournament, not Guild or... And so you find yourself going down the slippery slope of, oh, but I can just add a couple more models. Just add a couple more, and then you've got like three factions entirely, and you're going, when did that happen? Um, Dave, that's kind of what happened to you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we we got into it after the great death of Warhammer Fantasy and just started out with like one crew box each and some small additions and next thing you know you end up owning almost the entirety of two different factions and half of another faction so it definitely does have a sort of seductive quality but it's it's i guess it's the way you do it in bits and pieces that i really like um it i mean you were saying earlier i i do remember you very vividly saying oh i don't know if i'm ready for another you know, full tabletop war game. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to paint, ever play an army, you know, sorry, a game again where you have to paint an entire army at one time. Meanwhile, you just painted more than an army's worth of models. From- it, it is different, right? Because in Malifaux, you buy a box of two models, you paint those two models, and then they can entirely change the crew that you've been playing. And yeah, that's true. That is different to most games that I've like the the amount of difference that very small model counts make is just tremendous would you agree Mark? i would but it's not only that it's the fact is you don't have to buy and paint 120 models before putting them on the table or even even a um war machine size force you can start with a box set and and an additional box if you like and then each week each month you can grab another box and you can just gradually change the way you play and the way you feel about the game um, and just learn all the way through. Exactly. For time I play an event, it's like, oh, I'll just pick up this one extra little box and paint that one little box. It blows out the options that you have available um, when you're going to play your next game. You go, oh, I can try this new thing and I can play this different way. Um, it's just really cleverly put together. Um, and I really like Weird's, I guess, business model or the way they go about doing their business. So they have, they dumped out a bunch of masters at the same time when version two came out. And then they came out with another giant batch and they sort of set up their world. And they put out a bunch of support models and it really made the game what it is now. Um, and then slowly over time, they've added to it. Every now and then, they'll add another book with maybe one new master per faction or with campaign rules, um, with 
just means that there's a couple of extra models that you can add. But it really, every time you add just one or two models to a faction, it completely changes sort of the dynamics within the fashion because things you might be like, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to use that. All of a sudden, they come out with something that interacts with that, and you're like, ooh, but that's a really good combination. Like, that's, that's fun. I should do that. So... But one of the things they did recently that I really appreciate, and as I mean, as a new player, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but they came out with a book just, I mean, just now. Um, it's, it's called Wave 5 or Broken Promises. But it basically they came out with two upgrades for every master in the game. Now there's, what, almost 50 masters, 49 masters currently in the game. Now... For every way that you play that, there's... So you, you get a basic master, and it has all of its information on a card. All, every model in the game has a little card, a two-sided card, that has all of its stats and all of its rules. So you never have to open a book when you're playing. You just put some cards along the bottom, and you play the game. Very cleverly done. And when they update models, they just republish the old cards in a new way that fixes them. So you don't have to buy... You can buy the old original versions of the book... Because the cards will update. But they always have upgrade cards to give you different ways to play the Masters. But, you know, if you get used to playing a Master a certain way, you know, even if you jump around with the upgrades that were available, after a while you're like, okay, I've kind of seen what this guy can do or this girl can do, and you move on um, to something else. But what this did was it put two new ways to play every single Master in the game, new or old. And it really sort of leveled the field a bit more as far as quote-unquote power level um, or competitiveness if you really want to play at the hyper-competitive end. But in my mind, it just made things a lot more interesting. Like, this master can do this thing that couldn't do before, and this one can do this. Um, And so, Dave, you played the guild coroner, who's a secret resurrectionist. He's insane. He, you know cuts bodies open and then he brings them back to life and if anyone found out about his double life he'd be killed by his employers one of the upgrades that just came out allowed him to really expand his his hiring pool into all of the beasts right so tell us what you did before the most recent event yeah so he got me up to take everything that's a beast and everything that's an academic game and so I went out and I bought basically every beast in the game before the last tournament and painted up about 20 models just in preparation to double my options. Um, again, didn't need to do that. Already had fully functional crews with him. But suddenly it opens up your options massively. And when the game is all about customizing to a specific scenario that you're playing into a specific opponent, having options is really huge. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, is that your? Is that basically been your experience with the new upgrades as well? It has been. Um, I in the last tournament, I actually went old school and played one of the um, the masters from the book one. But I like the upgrades because they help to balance out the masters, the the ones which because new masters and new models come out, some of the combinations end up being better. But um, with with the release of things like these upgrades. Um, help balance out all the masters again so that everyone's once again competitive agreed and, and I that also, was my experience 
I also like how so they've they changed the original missions in the book a couple years in and they started doing this thing called gaining grounds. And so there was gaining grounds 2016 and then there was gaining grounds 2017 and we're about to get gaining grounds 2018 duh. Um and in this basically it's a new scenario pack and it changes the way that you the the major missions and the minor missions that you can play when you're playing this particular pack. And one of the ways that they've tried to level the game was they made the game more interact and less killy in 2017. Um, now, they fully admit that perhaps they maybe went a little too far. So 2018, they're going to self-correct another direction. So these guys are coming out with upgrades for Masters, upgrades for other models that they deem necessary that don't cost anything. You can just add them to models that you already have. They're changing the missions to make things more competitive for everyone. And every now and then they put out an FAQ that cleans up the rules. They're really proactive about leveling the field and making sure that everyone who's playing is having a good time. And I really appreciate that in a gaming company. Um, Mark, you've been playing longer than the rest of us. Is that your experience? Do you do you like how this works, or am I sort of seeing things with rainbow colored glasses? Sorry, uh, rose colored glasses. No, 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 no. That they're really good at engaging. Um, so just a a bit of a talk around that. They have um, what they call henchmen all around the place um, who are there who are awarded for promoting the game locally, but they're also help help out with um, with playtesting the rules, playtesting things like the new versions of Gaining Grounds 2018. And when they actually released Malifaux 2, the thing that I really liked, which I really found good about Weird, is they actually used their public forums to organize playtesting with general users of all the masters and all the factions before they really went live with, um, with Edition 2. And they take on board the feedback that comes through the forums from actual playtesting, not just people's opinions, about um, what's required to maintain the balance between all their factions and also uh, around the scenarios. And I haven't actually had many games companies that actively engage their player base to that extent. Yeah, it's really fascinating the way that they do. They are so proactive about seeking feedback. Um, the 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 masters feedbacks that I just talked about, and some of the new models, they put a lot of that up on their forums, and they actively sought beta testing. Um, and they said, "Hey, here's here it is. Come take a look at it. Try it out. Let us know. But don't just look at it." play it let us know what it actually does and i thought the way they went around doing that was really was really positive and i think it 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 just speaks volumes to the the amount of effort and time they put in to to make sure that their product is polished um dave would you agree with that yeah look i i would say that this is the most competitively balanced sort of miniature game that i've played and a lot of that is the fact that they go through this beatering process and that they are really active in updating the schemes and scenarios, the kind of way that you can play every year to a new season. And that does tend to iron out stuff. So you're not it's not left to sort of fester for six or seven years while you're waiting waiting for a new edition to get the those kinks in the in the work ironed out. Yeah, agreed. I, I... Sorry, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, it keeps it fresh as well. It keeps it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even, as you were saying, playing a quote-unquote old master, 
Um, I saw you using some new models um, with an old master, and it just, I mean, and you were trying some of the new updates. So I think it, it just, just the way they go about doing things not only levels it, but it keeps, as you say, keeps things fresh, keeps things interesting. And even when you're trying out new things, you need to be cognizant that your opponent might be trying some new things. So even if you've played against this master a hundred times before, well, things might be a little different. And again, the missions might be different. So you really have to, there's a lot of thinking. Now that brings me to my next point, which is as much as I love Malifaux and I'm really enjoying playing some Malifaux, Malifaux is by far the hardest game that I've ever tried to pick up. Um, I, I guess I got used to bolt action to a degree um, and games like that that are really elegantly simple to pick up but hard to master. Um, Malifaux is like falling in the deep end with, I mean, there is just the, the basic core rules. Let me be clear. The basic core rules aren't that complex. In fact, they're fairly simple. Um, and they're really well done. But every single model in the game, especially the masters have a series of their own rules that often break those rules. So you need to know what your models do. Um, and how they go about breaking the rules or how they follow the rules and or twist them in their own particular way. Um, and that just means that if you are picking some of the masters out of the box, you know, if you're picking up a master that looks cool, like one of the ones that I picked up right off the bat, I asked my wife to get me uh, a master called Brewmaster, which is a gremlin ninja hooch master bartender. Um, which you know speaks to me on so many levels, but I have not taken my models out of the box because I looked up how to play them, and it's a wall of text. Um, I'm afraid to open that box now. Once I get my head around the game a bit more, I, I'm not. I won't be. Um, but I played a, a, a series of friendly games recently. Then I flew up to Moab, played in a one day event there. Recently played in one day of Netflix and Shill locally. Um, the Red Jokers podcast tournament. And I've done a lot of listening to podcasts. I've done a lot of research on the game. And even and just now, I feel like I am not completely lost. Like, I actually know kind of what I'm doing. Now, Dave, you were my last opponent. Do you think I'm kind of getting it? <laughs> no, I think you're fine, man. Like, but you, you, you play fine. You're on to your rules. The, the game has a lot of individual special rules like you said but i actually think one of the biggest things with it for people who've been used to board, like games workshop based games like bolt action and the actual games workshop games it's not necessarily that it's hugely more complicated than those games that actually have tons of rules it's just that it's hugely different it's a yeah radically radically different system to a games workshop style war game so if all you play is those sort of games and derivatives, it's going to seem a lot more complicated comparison to picking up kind of a variation of what you're used to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I actually, to be fair, um, it took me a long time to get my head around the card mechanics, but having played in some events, I feel like the card mechanics now make, a, you know, are now second nature, and that has made remembering the other rules a lot easier. Um, because it was always like, how many, the difference between these cards is this, am I flipping two cards here? One card now that I have those 
And I suppose it wasn't that hard, but I was trying to do my master's work full time and try and learn this new game all at the same time. And it was like, no, 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 too much to do, too much to do. My brain can't handle it. Um, but now that I've sort of finished my master's and I, I've been relaxing and playing the game more for, you know, more regularly, um, yeah, I think it makes a lot more sense. Mark, what are your feelings on this? I mean, you went in blind. You went to Adepticon and hammered through a ton of games. Um, did you feel like that set you up for life in Malifaux and, like, you know what you're doing now? Or um, did you really find that there was a steep learning curve? I, I, I learned a lot, but I, wasn't, I didn't feel out of depth of the game. Um, it's a case of just remembering what everything does, but it's not necessarily having to remember everything your opponent's card or uh, models do it's remembering several things it's remembering not to always get into fights because the game isn't always about killing your opponent true it's about remembering what your cards actually do because occasionally you forget that the the good ability your your uh, model has and that really gets you into strife one thing i will say brad is that um someone always told me that Against Brewmaster, you've got to lose to Brewmaster before you can ever win against Brewmaster. And there's a few masters out there which just play so differently that you don't really understand how they work until you've actually seen them across the table. And then you go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And I now know how it works. And now I can um, now I can watch out for him next time he's there. Yeah, um, exactly. There was a guy. Yeah, there, there was a guy at the tournament we just recently played where we got I think it was about 30 people at the tournament, um, a number of teams of three. One of the guys in one of the teams that won, or the team that won, and, and they're all young kids, he actually started playing Malifaux about 18 months ago. And recently he was over holidaying in Germany and apparently actually beat the guy who's rated about number three in Germany at Malifaux. So you, you can come from nothing to, to master the game reasonably quickly. I think it's just getting your head around the mechanics and realizing that it it is a real thinking game, but it's, it's it has a lot of core basics, and if you get those right, then you'll probably be in, in good um, form, no matter what the special abilities are of your you or your opponent's models. Yeah, agreed. One I think, other thing I'll say. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. I actually think the game the game's going to make a lot more sense to people who've played games like Magic, the card game. Because a lot of the complex things that are going on are synergies between different special rules, which isn't a mechanic that's used in many, many other board, many other tabletop games like war games a lot, but it's used in lots of collectible card game systems very extensively. This kind of complex interactions between four or five different rules which synergize in really nasty ways together. And that's how a bunch of the crews in Malifaux tend to function. Yeah. I, what I really like is, and it, I agree with you completely, um, and it absolutely comes into the synergy between models, but I really like how, the ma- though the rules are fairly straightforward and they're, you can pick them up, um, the way that each master is written is very, very different. Um, and so the game, if you are kind of getting tired of playing, I don't know, the rules of Malifaux... If you switch your masters, the game is brand new again. Um, now, of course, that's easy for me to say having just come in, but I've talked to a lot of players who have said that again and again, that just the way the game, if you 
are really struggling with the game. And I think one of the reasons why I was really struggling is I kept trying to change my master to find what quote unquote fit my play style. Um, but for the most recent events and games I've been playing, um, actually you two helped me to pick, um, the, the master that some people call baby's first Malifaux master, Perdita, who's the guild master, who's sort of like a, a Latina cowboy, um, good, bad, and the ugly kind of feel, who's got you know, like her family who come around with her, and they just, you know, shoot up the place, uh, Yosemite Stam- Sam style, but there's, there's a whole lot of really interesting ways that they interact, but it's also fairly straightforward. Um, and so th- just by sticking to one master while I'm learning the rules, I think was huge. Um, I think I really struggled before because almost every game I played, I was trying to play a different master, and that was folly. While that works in other game systems, um, while you're learning this one, I would recommend staying with the same master. Um, would you guys agree with that, uh, Dave? A hundred percent. What you, the way you were going about it was making your life incredibly difficult in terms of working out how to play. I think you are best off to pick a master that's not crazy complicated and then just play them while you're learning the game. Yeah. Mark? Yep, I, I totally agree with that there. I mean, getting getting the mechanics and just remembering how everything works um, is just so much integral into the game um, that if you can know that down pat, know exactly what to do with the master, then um, then move on to the next one. That'll um, set you in good, good stead. Right on. Well, I think one of the really cool things about this game is is the way the models have their own like history and personality. And there's so many named um, characters in the game. So I'm going to ask each one of you to sort of pick a character that you really like in the game and talk about it a little bit. Could be the rules, could be the fluff, could be anything about it. I'm going to start with a non-master. Um, give you guys a, a few seconds to think about this because I kind of just sprung this on you. But... The 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 one of the models that Dave really got me interested in the game with is a is a model named Mister Graves, and he's a giant bald bouncer who works in this illegal casino brothel, which is actually um, which actually has like a malevolent demon being living in its basement that sort of infects people with its essence and then feeds off of their like sin and debauchery kind of feel. Um, but the bouncers sort of this half, um, half living half nightmare guy who looks just big and bald and creepy. And his rules are very much like show them the door and you can pick someone up and carry them. And then you can just the way that, that big old bald bouncer, and I used to be a, a bouncer a long time ago, and the way his rules play out just tie, just got me right away. And so when I bought into the game, he was the second model I bought. I bought a master's box, and I bought him. Um, and I was like, yep, I'm putting that guy in my army. And every time I play, or in my crew, and every time I played the first couple times, no matter what master I was playing, I found a way of sneaking that model in. Um, and I just loved him, and, but he's got a little guy that comes with him or another guy you could buy, I should say fluff wise that goes with him, who is this little guy named Mr. Tannen who follows him around, um, who sucks in combat 
and basically is hard to, he's really chatty, so you can't really attack him or do things around him because he's constantly talking to you and annoying you and bothering you. And it's just the way they interact. One's the big beater and one's the little chatty, annoying guy like Joe Pesci character. And you just go, this is awesome. And they're wearing the little suits um, with the vests and, you know, the rolled up sleeves. And I'm like, yeah, this, this, is, this is what got me. Um, and that's one of the big things that really drew me in. Uh, Mark, what was, did any of the masters or models, I know that you have a ton that you really like. Is there any one in particular you'd like to share? Um, I like um, Nellie Cochran. Nellie Cochran's one of the more recent masters for the Guild. And she's the uh, the head editor of the local rag for the guild, which is actually just their their propaganda. But um, so she's a master who um, is all about um, getting the news right, picking up evidence against people and against things, and using that against them, or um, rewriting history, as it were, to make sure that uh, she actually wins jewels and things like that. Uh, she's got uh, she's supported by a bunch of roving reporters. Um, She's got abilities that dish out assignments to various people in her crew that, that give them the ability to, to move faster, to get things done. Um, she can cheat damage because she can rewrite what actually happens so people can't hurt her reasonably, quick, uh, reasonably easily. And she's followed around by a printing press which prints out all her newspapers, which is actually um, incorporates the soul of her dead um, dad. Oh, I forgot that. But, um, yeah, right on. Yeah, and yeah, what? So and, but she, she stinks at combat. Like she, she's incapable of fighting. So all, everything she does is basically revolves around the playstyle that you're talking about. So it's just, it's a very different way of making the game work. It is. I mean, one of her major attacks is um, called humiliation, where she'll write a, a nasty piece about the person she wishes to attack. And that person then takes two points of damage every turn until they um, find some evidence to refute her claims. Or she can, um, she's got an attack called Hold Off the Presses, where she can actually give someone a special burning condition, which gives them damage, move them over to um, a piece of evidence, basically, and, and, uh, and hit them that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Dave, how about you, man? I mean, is, what, what, You've got some interesting ones. Um, are you going to go for the Swamp Witch, or what are you going with? I'm going to actually go with Lucius Matheson, who is the Secretary to the Governor-General of Malifaux. And Lucius Matheson is one of the really interesting ones in Malifaux for me, because he, he is a kind of embodiment of shitty bureaucracy personified <laughs> on the table. And he's sort of a foppish guy dressed up in a Rococo outfit, wearing a mask. And his whole shtick is that he either orders people around or he wraps you up in red tape and gets his lawyers to demand fees from you. And his whole crew is either about ordering around his little shitty um, minions or making your models denied what they want to do because of bureaucratic wranglings. And he's just really personifies to me one of the best things about Malifaux, which is that you do not have to play a killing game at all and that you can actually play a game of Malifaux where your crew is not really oriented towards killing the opponent's models and actually is not great at that, but what it does is really manipulate a bunch of mechanics on the table so you can achieve the missions for the Governor-General that you want. And 
Lucius, he's the he's the boy. I encourage you to Google Lucius's model. He's also just a super sexy model on the table. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and but if you do want to play something choppy, I mean, I know we've talked so much about how you don't have to and you don't have to do this, but some people just like to kill people, and sometimes you just have that mission where you need to collect heads, literally. Um, and so, I mean, there's masters out there like there's um, Jack the Ripper meets the Mad Hatter from um, Alice in Wonderland, who happens to be um, a resurrectionist who is also a pimp. Um, and he's all of his undead minions are um, undead hookers. And it's just in showgirls. And you're just going, who writes this? Um, but man, he just walks around with a. 50 caliber flintlock pistol capping people and there's a little tiny version of them that follows them around that fires a smaller pistol and you just go yeah that that's brutal um and so yeah it's just it's a it's a really neat um yeah the the fluff of the game's really fun so but yeah and then you've got the um mark uh, you can go Dave. i was gonna say then you've got the uh the other fun models with their fluff like you've got Sue, who's a um, character wandering around with a guitar who has abilities called things like walk the line and, um, and ring of fire. Yes. So there's, there's no allusions to any, any um, real world um, associations there. <laughs> and um, you have daydreams and you have a big teddy bear with nine inch claws and 10 inch teeth. Um, if you want those kind of things as well. Definitely. Dave? Yeah, just th- there's a ton of referential stuff strung through the game. And a lot of things that you are actually quite deep references. So, like, one of Nelly's um, henchmen, Fiona Gage, is actually a reference, who, who has this thing where they um, had their head impaled, is actually a reference to a real historical example of a popular news story of a rail worker who got their whole head impaled and survived. So it's just tons of references through the game for each of these characters. And if you, you want to go to deep diving into where they're being inspired from, you'll find a lot of rich resources there. Exactly. Um, now, if you are interested in this game, again, you don't need that much to buy in, just the basic rules and a master's box, typically, and maybe one or two extra, depending on which master and what you need to get it up to, you know, the usual 50, quote-unquote, soulstone limit. Um, but this is a game... So that even though you only have that few models, um, you know, the six to 12 to 15 mark, somewhere in there, you're typically playing two to two and a half hour games. Um, I think tournament standards, two hours, 15 minutes. Um, And you're playing on a three by three table. Um, And I do like um, there's just such a rich choice of terrain for this you can have victorian style buildings you can have the old west you can have swamps you can have an asian temple i mean there's just tons sewers it's it's just wonderful um but it there is that depth so it does take time um the one last thing i really wanted to get into one of the things that i really liked about bolt action for example is that unlike a lot of you go i go games when you're pulling the little counters out or um, dice out of the bag to see who goes next in bolt action um it's there's that constant interaction and you have to pay attention and you're always going malifaux is really interesting in that because 
Um, it's you go, I go, but it's you go, I go by model. Um, and so you're constantly going back and forth within a turn. So you're never just sitting there bored watching your opponent do something or sitting there as your opponent dismantles your crew typically. Um, but throughout the process, because everything that you do with your cards typically means that your opponent's trying to oppose you with their cards, you are constantly interacting and flipping cards. And it, so it makes um, Malifaux a really social, interactive game um, that really makes it... I don't know. I really like it. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, Dave, did you have that sort of feeling as well when you came to it? Yeah, the I go, you go mechanic doesn't get you engaged for half the game, right? Because you're waiting for your opponent to act. But in Malifaux, you're having to react constantly. So in that two-hour game, you're going to be doing something almost the whole time, which is a real positive in my eyes. It means the games are, are super engaged the whole time, but it also means they're quite, they can be a bit exhausting because you're having to think the whole time during the game. It's I would say Malifaux is less of beer and pretzels because of that, and it's much more a game where you sit down and like really think about how you're going to play. Yeah, I, I would agree. Mark, You again, you've been playing for a long time. What do you think? Yeah, activation is so important. Um, and being able to choose which model, or even after your opponent chooses which model, actually um, deciding who the next model to activate is. You know, you can go, he's now done his actions with that model, so my model that was in danger is no longer in danger. I can concentrate on another part of the board. Or I want to set something up, so I'm going to move my model here to pull his model in and then um, activate the next model to go. So there's, there's a lot of thinking and planning ahead. But um, it's every, every action you do has a consequence. So you've, you've really got to think, think through how you want to play out every turn. It isn't just a, I set everything up, and now I'll see how my opponent will react. Everything's a flowing story, um, right from first activation to last. I'd agree with that. I really like the narrative feel for the game. Then um, the structures, I mean, the the missions, both the the secret ones and the the upfront ones, sort of lend themselves to that. And so you, you really do get this. The game has such a rich narrative as it is, and then throwing on top a rule set that encourages you to think that way. I really enjoy it. Um, and I think it just really is a lot of fun. Um, now, I think that I think we've kind of talked our way through Malifaux a fair bit. Um, rather than going for podcasts that are epic three, three and a half hour ordeals, I think I'm going to focus this podcast on shorter focuses on games. And as we find our legs and figure out where exactly we want to go, I think we'll start adding segments and different aspects to the cast or different segments or bits. I think at this point though, I think Malfoe is sort of coming to an end for now. And as there's God, so many Malfoe podcasts coming out of Melbourne, Australia, this is not one of them. Um, let, let guys, any, any final thoughts on Malfoe? Um, Mark, how about you? What do you think? It's just a great game. It's just easy to get into Costs about as much as a board game to get into, but then you'll be hooked for life on your plastic crack. Um, <laughs> j- and if you want to, if you want to get into it, listen to um, the Breachside broadcast. Listen to Schemes and Stones, and that'll set you up for how to play all your masters and get you really into the background for the the system. 
Agreed. Dave, would, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, look, I just 100% agree. I'd say the breach side broadcasts start immediately. Even if you don't want to play Malifaux, it is super interesting for fun listening. And if you don't want to start Malifaux, have a listen. You're probably going to change your mind after a few episodes. And it is one of those great things that if you're looking for something to listen to for like long painting sessions or commutes, that I, I went through something like 30 episodes of the Breachside broadcast in fairly short order, but it was just just by the nature of the short, sharp storytelling. It was just great. It was fun. And he was like, oh, at the end of that, you know, you listen to a half an hour story. Cool. Or you listen to a 15 minute story or a series of 15 minute stories. And you're like, wow, that's that was that was refreshing. It was nice. Ooh, there's a new story starting. What's going to happen? Who's going to be in this one? Um and as I was picking up the game, it was great. And it was really easy for me to pick it up because of the way they tell the stories. They don't necessarily assume that you know the background. Um, and so, yeah, it's just an easy pickup. But, guys, Malifaux is a great game. Um, if you haven't played it, uh, I highly recommend you check out at least seeing it played at some point. Um, the community is really welcoming and friendly. The game is great. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, now... We will probably talk about Malifaux coming up in bits and pieces coming into the future. Um, but as I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of games. Um, now, next episode is definitely going to revolve around, if not next episode, the episode after, actually. I'm just quickly doing the math on the date in my head. Around a game coming out from Osprey Games called Gaslands. Now, it is a tabletop, um, not World War II, a tabletop vehicular combat game akin to Mad Max or Car Wars, if you were into that back in the day. Um, and it is out by Osprey Games. It's got a little X-Wing feel to it. My copy of the rules is apparently in the mail. I cannot wait to play it and then talk about it. Um, but then there's other plenty of other good games to talk about as well. So if you've enjoyed this episode, um, please come to the Land of Misfit Toys facebook page or cast dice um that is c-a-s-t dice um find us on facebook please give me feedback um i would love to find out what game systems you would like us to talk about if you want to hear more Malifaux, you want to hear i mean i i do know that some people wanted to hear more bolt action content out of the lrdg2 um I am absolutely not stopping playing Bolt Action or Conflict 47. I also have the new Conflict 47 book in the mail on the way to me. Um, we will talk about all of these games. I just wanted to do a gaming podcast that wasn't necessarily married to any one game in, in particular. Um, I know the first episode we is a little short and awkward while we find our sea legs, but I, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, thank you very much. Please give us any feedback. And I really want to thank Dave, as always. Thank you so much for coming on. And Mark, man, it's been a pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you on to play or talk shop another day. Um, guys, thank you very much for coming on. Any final words before we call it a night? Uh, Malifaux rules, man. Done. Dave? No, man, not for me. All right. Well... Until next time, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Old Man Morin, and you have been listening to Cast Dice. <laughs>